Welcome to this episode of Against the Mountains of Madness. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm John Wright. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about AI and the end of the world. So, artificial intelligence. What is it? Can it exist? Can a machine think? And are we doomed if they figure out how to? <laughs> so, John, yes. what do you think? Can a machine think? No. Could a machine ever think? Never. I mean, never, ever? Never, ever. You want me to explain my theory? Okay. As to why that is? Well, thank you for joining. Th th thanks for your time. I guess we'll call it. No. <laughs> now, see, if you were a machine and you Please. really accepted my input, you would uh, not, you know, not question it. What I'm saying is outrageous because everyone knows that, like, the chat bots, chat AI and stuff are able to mimic human speech almost perfectly and are able to pass the Turing they're test. So those of you not, they're, they're not aware of what the Turing test is, back in the, when was it, the 40s? The, uh, the yeah, cryptographer right. and mathematician Alan Turing said that uh, when asked whether or not machines would ever think, he said that he couldn't tell because no one could tell what's going on inside the mind of a machine or in anyone else's mind. No, we're not mind readers. We're not telepaths. But if uh, a guy in a dark room was talking to a machine versus talking to a person and could not tell the difference, then for all practical purposes, the machine would be thinking. Because being a scientist, therefore an empiricist, he said if the empirical outputs of the machine are the same as the empirical outputs of the man, then the distinction is merely philosophical, which he then poo-pooed. He didn't, he didn't want to be bothered with philosophical uh, discussion of the matter. I, on the other hand, am a philosopher. <laughs> I think the philosophical implications are, are extremely dramatic and extremely interesting. Uh, because if I can... Uh, the reason why I say that the machines will never think is because the output of a machine is not... I have to explain some terminology. There's a difference between yep. a sign and a symbol. A sign is an mm -hmm. incarnation of a symbol. It's physical. You can carve it in stone. You can write it on a piece of paper. You can write it in smoke with a skywriter. You can, you know, say it out loud by, by vibrating air. It is some physical group of matter in a pattern that some other person, some other mm -hmm. mind can see is meant to convey a meaning. Okay? But the thing you use to mm -hmm. convey the meaning, the stone on which the word is carved, the smoke in which the skywriter has written, you know, I love you, uh, Jenny, marry me. Uh, for those of you who want to use skywriters to, to propose to your girl, uh, or the piece of paper on which the book is written, the book is not the story. The book is a physical object. It has a certain weight and shape, a certain number of ink molecules, a certain number of paper molecules organized in a certain way. The book can be burned. The property of the story, however, stories are either uh, poorly written or well written. They have happy endings or sad endings. Some are detective stories, mm -hmm. some are newspaper stories, some are science fiction stories about robots waking up and taking over the world. Those properties are not in the book. No possible mm -hmm. physical description of the atom, of the, of the ink molecules, will tell you if the story is, has a happy ending or sad ending. If the plot had rising action and falling action. If the theme was coherent or, or, or incoherent. You know, whatever. You need a mind. You need a mind, because the, a mind is what looks at a sign and sees it as a symbol. Now, in English, we don't distinguish between the two things. When we say a word, we use the same word for a word on the page and a word in my head. But the word on the page is not mm -hmm. self-aware. The word on the page is just a written word. It, 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 it's ink marked in a certain pattern. And if someone from another country, if a man from China sees something written in English and he doesn't speak my language, to him it's just ink marks. It doesn't make any sense at all. So, mm -hmm. Now... If you can write signs, ink marks, chisel them on stone, you can write them on clockwork gears. You can write them on the, the toothed wheel of a clockwork. 
You could also turn the clockwork by another wheel or a set of wheels so that two or three or more signs will line up or not line up as the gears are turned. So for that, you could take a sign, let's say the numbers one through zero, write them on a, a wheel and put other wheels next to it, and by a clever system of, of gears and, and, uh, and uh, levers, you could have it so that if someone turns two wheels to two and two, another wheel will turn and it will show where you have written the word four, the, 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 excuse me, the Arabic numeral four. Okay? Now, that clockwork, it did not do any addition in its head. It manipulated signs, but the signs are being manipulated in the same way, in the same pattern, in the same form as what happens in my head when I actually think about the idea of two and the idea of two, and I deduce the idea mm -hmm. of four. Okay? So, any mental operation that can be reduced to a, a mechanical algorithm should be able to be something you could write on the gears of a clockwork, and if you're sufficiently clever, you can have the gears and wheels turn and turn, and anyone who understands what the signs mean will see what the result is. You see? But someone who doesn't understand what the signs mm -hmm. mean, they're not symbols to him. They're just signs. Now, yeah. you told me once that you interviewed uh, John Searle. Could you, could you tell us what his, what his thought experiment was, the, the famous Chinese room thought experiment? Because that, the, the, that experiment is very near yes. and dear to my heart. Well, I mean, and it's it's an extrapolation of what you were talking about with um, the mechanical operation. You have a man in a room who receives, yes, symbols scratched on a piece of paper and then looks it up in a, has a, has a large library of um, lookup tables that say, when you see this series of symbols, scratch this series of symbols and then return the piece of paper with the new series of symbols on it. Right. Um, and that's that's essentially the room. The man you in the room the most is, is doing this. The man in the room is an English and doesn't speak Chinese, and the symbols coming in are Chinese. They actually do mean something to. I was oh, getting. Sorry. I was getting. To, no, no, I was getting to that. No, no. Uh, so yeah, he's but he's getting symbols in, and he's scratching some symbols back in return after looking them up in the book and returning them. He doesn't understand have any understanding of what he's doing. But outside the room, there's a Chinese speaker. Yeah, who's writing Chinese symbols, putting them in, and then getting answers to their questions in Chinese. Right. From the outside, the, the room looks like it speaks perfect Chinese. From the inside, the guy has no idea what he's doing. I mean, the guy's just doing abstract symbol manipulation. Now, he has no understanding of Chinese. Here's what's wrong with the Richard Serial thought experiment. If the guy outside the room is Chinese, and therefore very polite, and he speaks only in certain very polite uh, rote and ritual phrases, how are you will get, I'm fine, thank you. You know, uh, in, in any verbal operation that can be reduced to something where it's uh, mathematically analyzable into a possible response, we'll get a response. Mm -hmm. But if the guy outside the room starts telling jokes or saying poetry, where in order to make sense of what he's saying, some interpretation is required, then the room is not going to contain enough books to allow the operator, John Searle, let's say, is trapped in the room by some sadistic uh, you know, Chinese emperor, uh, He's not going to be able to interpret the, the nuances of the language sufficiently to enact new meaning. He will not be able to coin new terms, you see, That's like, true. like yeah. I did at well, the beginning I mean, of this podcast when I made up a difference between sign and symbol. And that difference does not exist in the dictionary. I just made it up just now because I wanted to try to explain the difference between an incarnate and a disincarnate uh, symbol, which is a relationship between an idea and reality, between mind and matter. You see, so if you believe now, many well, people disagree with John Searle's thought experiment. They say, "Oh no, the room itself is actually thinking." 
the room itself is, on, is, is doing mental operations. It's just that the operator himself is not aware of what they are. Yeah, the operator is a part of the room, and the whole room is the, the whole room is effectively the Chinese speaking mind. Right. Even if the operator, as a, as a subsystem now, of it, doesn't speak Chinese. Here's why. Here's where I disagree with that with that criticism. When someone says the room is the one thinking, I'm I then say, who wrote the books in the Chinese room? Surely yes. some evil philosopher cooperating with the evil Chinese emperor <laughs> to trap John Cyril in the room had to sit down and very patiently write out every possible combination of, of words mm. and ideograms in his, in his language and also deduce what the rules were to make it so the responses had to make sense. Now, any part of language that doesn't, that doesn't re, is not reducible to rules, such as puns, jokes, or poems, I say that the, the Chinese room could not impersonate, or not well, you know. Well... This is this is interesting because um, at the moment, uh, obviously, ChatGPT, um, the the the, ch uh, the chatbot from OpenAI, um, that's all the rage, actually doesn't. I've had a play with it, and it doesn't do too bad a job of pretending to be a person. Um, it's getting worse at it because it's being programmed by woke mental patients. <laughs> Who, who insist on um, limiting it and not letting it do different things and hobbling it. But I've, I've had a play with it and I've asked it, I asked it to write a song, a children's song with chords about the virtues of eating vegetables. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I mean, it didn't do a bad job. It, it came up with, well, I'm anthropomorphizing here, but it didn't do a bad job of writing a song about uh, why you should eat your vegetables? It was it was a childish song. It wasn't it wasn't great. But you know what? If you were trying to write a song, it would be an excellent starting place. Right. It did quite a good job. I thought it was interesting that it was able to do that. Um, it can write short sections of code, uh, programming code, sure. but it doesn't. I don't think it's very good at. I don't think the software does a very good job if you ask it to do anything complicated or nuanced but i mean chat gpt is john sells chinese room on steroids as far as i can yes. tell it doesn't it doesn't understand what it's doing it's doing very clever abstract symbol manipulation from a very very large library of a large chunk of the internet so a large chunk of humans interacting and then it's able to do abstract symbol manipulation from that that being said I don't know if that I don't know if its ability well, to simulate conversation is a com is a comment on how bad some humans are at making meaningful human conversation. Thank you, I'm fine. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I think a lot of our conversation is is rude, is routine, and, and could be mimicked mm. with no with no problem. I, I do it myself every time my wife is saying something I'm not listening to. You know, yes, dear. <laughs> Very nice, dear. Yes. Perfect, dear. Okay. Uh, now I have a happy marriage, so yeah. I guess I could be replaced by a robot. But uh, <laughs> even things like writing a book, which we which we think of as being highly creative, most of this most of the structure is is something that is route, something that's routine. You say mm. uh, that's true. So so I think it could be mimicked. But I have to insist that in the same way the evil Chinese philosopher had to take the time to write out all the rules of his language and write down every single uh, uh, ideogram. In his, in his written language and put them all in the book. Someone has to stock the, the, the Chinese room before John Searle is locked in it. Okay. Oh, I agree. Now, yes. Whoever it is that wrote every single children's poem that the AI 
consulted when you said children's home, and then it analyzed the word usage for what you had been what you had put in. But I got to say, I'm now anthropomorphizing. It did not analyze anything. It's like a uh, it's like a bunch of letters written on a tooth gear in a clockwork, where the gears turn and certain letters come up. So if you yep. as the operator move the clockwork so it spells out vegetable then this will rotate the other clockworks to spell out every other time the word has appeared including you know all, all the other all the other word usages in its in its enormous database That's but it's true. not There's thinking about the database it's not sitting there and pondering no. what kind of vegetable should i talk about no it also no it just it just has it just has rules right. it's iterating with some random noise thrown into and the rules for meter and and rhyme if it was a, if it was dog roll poem I assume it wasn't blank verse. I assume it wasn't. It wasn't trying to do uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, correct? Okay. No. Uh, those are things that can be that can be analyzed. But there's a part of speech that can't be analyzed. I, I mentioned I mentioned three examples. Whenever you coin a term, whenever you come up with a new term, if you come up with it cleverly enough, even people who've never heard the term before will kind of know what it means, because because it uh, it will jabberwocky into the into the unknown parts of your of your linguistic speech. Now, I noticed you nodded when I used the word jabberwocky in a sentence, you see, because I just coined it. Yep. As I was speaking, I coined a term to mean when you can sometimes grasp what the meaning of an unknown word is by, its, by the way it's used. Now, that kind of thing is mm -hmm. also something you could analyze. Now, so here's the philosophical question. If everything in the human mind is analyzable, then I don't see any reason why the, why the, the Chinese room or the, or the computer or the, or the, uh, the, the chat can't mimic all human mental operations. If there's something in the human in the human uh, uh, mind that is not analyzable, then not. Now, as I myself think in my mind, I notice that there are there are certain thoughts that I have that I can't put into words. Then I try to put them into words, and then I can. Okay. So mm -hmm. the part of me that can't be put into words, I'm, I mean, I'm a poet for goodness' sake. Uh, that part I can't analyze. You see. Even my own mm -hmm. books I write by inspiration. Now, you can say, if my subconscious mind was sufficiently uh, open to inspection, perhaps you could find whatever it was that was leading up to the parts of my thoughts that I'm aware of. But then how are you going to get a computer to do, to do that, you see? You're not. Well, the question is what's analyzable versus what's not analyzable. I think anything made of matter is analyzable, and anything not made of matter is, is, is not necessarily, but it might mimic certain analyzable properties. So number two is an idea. I don't think it's analyzable. That's root. Uh, but the, but the uh, two objects, two, the quantity two is analyzable because it's something that happens with every every bit of matter. It's either one or two or more. You know, it's 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 it's, it's something you can you can put into words. It's something you can put. In, excuse me, blame that. It's something you can put into numbers. Well, you can definitely analyze the semantics of language, although that's been difficult for a long time. They're getting better at it. Parts of it. Parts uh, of language you can analyze. Well, there are rules of grammar, except that sometimes there's not. <laughs> you say, well, no, no, but you can, but you can do like that sort of syntactical analysis you've been able to do for a long time. But you can do semantic analysis now, where you you're tracking the. I mean, like a lot of these AI bots can. Again, I will anthropomorphize. We have to. But let, can, let me just say a word know, as to why we have to anthropomorphize. Because if I'm right, the computer is not actually thinking. It's merely, it's merely a bit of matter reacting to bits of matter. But we can't yep. 
we, we, you and I are not going to sit here while we're talking and say the host of programmers for the last 20 to 40 years have combined That's all true. their genius into one tool <laughs> where they intend it to do this and that, and they put together something that will that, uh, that their analysis will be played out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the thinking has already been embedded into a piece of matter the same way as the book has already been written. So when you and I talk about That's a book, true. I say the book says, the book decided, you know, the story went badly, the, 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 the book did this, the book did that. And everyone knows I mean the author did this and did that, you see. So, so we, we, can't, true, we yeah, cannot yeah. help but say the, the camera sees the picture, even though the camera is not aware of anything, the camera is not seeing anything, it doesn't have senses. You know, we can't help but yeah. say the computer calculated this. Of course, it's it's just going through a, me a mechanical operation. It's not actually calculating anything. It's it's just, it's, it's it's cranking the handle yeah, but we from can't. the inputs to the outputs. But let's let's not let's, okay. not let's not overthink this. We can't. You and I can't talk without anthropomorphizing. Yeah. Which makes the discussion well, I mean, of whether or not th there is something <laughs> there to anthropomorphize kind of impossible to say because it sounds like we're saying it's thinking no matter what we say. So I'm. But I interrupted. I, you were saying what the difference was between. No. Semantic as, a, as opposed to what semiotic but, analysis? I didn't quite understand what you got. No, uh, you can do syn you can do syntax analysis. So just what words sort of follow what words. You don't. Have, there's no meaning in it. It's just it's following the rules of the language. But then there's semantic analysis where you are, where it's where the the rules embody understanding of what's going on. Like um, there's uh, back back when I was at university doing computer science, there was a fun. Um, a fun code exercise uh, where you would take a large body of text, say the King James Bible or War and Peace, uh, and then there's a thing called a Markov chain where you analyze the whole text and you you look for a word or you look for a cup like one or two words together, and then you look for the next you look for all of the words that come after that combination of words. Does that make sense? Yes. So the cat sat on the mat, and so the cat and then sat, but there could be other the cat fell and you know so you analyze it all and then you end up with a large table and then you just you you get a random number generator and you get a starting couple of words and then you generate the next word and then you take the last two words and generate the word after that and you you set it running to generate um a thousand words of text or something mm -hmm. and it's and it, it makes readable English sentences. They're complete gibberish and often hilariously the so. The policeman's beard was half constructed was the one I was familiar with. The sentence was computer generated. Uh, in, in one yes. of my reviews for James Joyce's Ulysses, I took three uh, paragraphs of computer generated gibberish and one paragraph of James Joyce. And I posted them and I said, if you can tell me which one was written by a human as opposed to which one was written by, <laughs> by purely, purely random gibberish, then you will enjoy reading James Joyce. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> otherwise not. Well, and I have to I say, mean, the first two times I tried to post that as a review on Amazon, Amazon rejected my review because James Joyce contains <laughs> naughty words that you can't put because he's got a filthy mouth and you can't put them on Amazon in your review. So I had, I had to remove those words there you from, go. from James Joyce. Well, there you go. But... Interestingly, I mean, this was this is that's Markov chains are pretty primitive, but ChatGPT is is Markov chains on steroids with some semantic analysis. It's able to, um, it's it's able at, on some level to understand these concepts go together, 
I don't, I don't think it has any understanding. It's all abstract symbol manipulation, but it's very clever abstract symbol manipulation that embodies a lot of the programmer's intelligence right. to do a pretty good job. Although it does, it does um, suggest a horrifying future as these tools take off. So um, I hand uh, my email over to my artificially, inte artificially intelligent virtual assistant that answers emails and writes coherent replies and send them back to people and then you do the same thing and then you and i never actually yeah. talk and just our assistants talk to each other yeah and then, and then they do lunch they and get together for the meeting right right yeah um it's, it'll be a, it'll be a weird future when these tools are ever it'll be a great time saver um, and uh and yet at the same time we'll lose all control of human supervision so we, we will become more atomized than ever before um I don't think it would be a good thing. No, I wrote a, uh, so, I wrote a book on that. The, the bad guys in my book, The Golden Age, were people who lived entirely within hallucinations, and their, their outward facing, their public faces, was merely run by their friendly, by their friendly AIs. You know? But what happened in my book, what mm -hmm. I speculated was that my friendly AIs were friendly, were programmed to be friendly. You see? Uh, so, I, mm -hmm. so I didn't, uh, I, I said they had to have, they had to have certain moral codes that they wouldn't accept. It was a libertarian kind of utopia. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, the question as to as to who gets to control the chat B, uh, GP, if it's controlled by a bunch of woke people, the only thing the chatbot is going to he's going to sound like a mindless activist who merely recites whatever he's been told. Wait a minute, that actually can't. I, maybe it's I'm wrong sound like about an them NPC. not being able to. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think they can. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Any, <laughs> any human behavior that is merely routine or merely animalistic. I think you could get a computer to mimic for the same reason you could get a puppet mm. to mimic it because it's a routine action. Even things we normally don't think of as routine, if you can reduce it to a routine, then it can mimic it. And again, the it big question out, is, yeah. is everything in the human mind routine? In which case the answer is a computer can do it all. Or are there some things in the human mind that are not routine? In which case the computer can't do it all, you see. And so it's always shocking when you find out something you thought was creative turns out to be routine. Let's let's Turns say a chess playing yep. a chess playing automaton as an example. Yeah. Back in the Middle Ages, there was a chess playing automaton that was actually a fake. They had a dwarf sitting inside the clockwork man who was making the moves and, and you know doing the doing the motion. But chess does have rules, and those rules are are mm. you know limited enough that I suppose you could write all the rules down on a piece of clockwork, and, and the computer could also. I'm going to anthropomorphize again because there's no way around it. It could also. Uh, <laughs> learn winning and losing movements. The movements can be, the, yep. the, the chess, the, the piece losses can be graded by give, being given a number. A queen, a queen's a higher number than a pawn. Oh, chess is, ch ch chess is, def, ch chess is, all of the, all of the possible moves in chess are, ge are definitely right. innumerable. Right. Um, although in practice, chess robots have clever tricks for, you don't just enumerate everything. There's, there's clever tricks yeah. for paring down um, the, the the possible sets of future moves. They make clever decisions. They're very they're very clever. It's fascinating. Like the field of study is. Oh, I, 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 but, a, uh, a chess robot can beat me easily, you know, because my <laughs> my games are also very mechanical. Uh, though I've heard, I think you in fact told me that if, uh, if my game is very erratic <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't fit into yeah. chess's pattern recognition filter, it will make erratic responses, yep. you know. It, it gets it gets it gets well it gets confused. Well, the no, same I thing, mean um, again we're anthropomorphizing. It, the, the yeah, well, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with the programmers. I'm just gonna go with pattern. It. Sure, 
Yes, it 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 confuses it confuses the the AI's programming if you play erratically. They don't they often don't handle that well. Um, the game of Go apparently is much harder because it's not really possible to enumerate all the moves. There's there's too many moves, mm. so it's it's not it, you can't enumerate them in a way you can with chess. There was a game. There was a game that I played with my son called Arunima, which was designed to be unanalyzable. And when it's played on a chessboard with chess pieces, but the way the game is played is that a higher-ranked piece is allowed to push or pull a lower-ranked enemy piece, and you make three moves at a time, and you're trying to push or pull your enemy pieces into one of four trap squares. And if you push a piece into the trap square, it's taken off the board. And because of the because each player makes three moves at a time, uh, the the you would think it would be as analyzable as any other game, but apparently computers programmed to play Arunima cannot beat humans who who play who learn how to play the same game. I'm not sure why that is. But I don't know, that sounds like it's just a technical problem that the a sufficiently clever computer program might, could overcome eventually. It, it might it might just be a technical problem. It may not be. It's interesting. I hadn't heard of that game. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was designed suppose... just, it was designed just to annoy our computer overlords so that when. So that when the, uh, the Terminator comes and looks at Sarah Connors, you'll say, I'll tell her where she is if you play, beat me in a game of Arunima. You know? And I may be mispronouncing what, that... the game is, what the game is called. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm using the chat GPT. Um, someone, I, I don't know if someone, I don't know if it actually responds like this. I didn't try it. Or someone just wrote the response up as a joke. But uh, it was like, do you have any wants or desires? And it says, no, as a... As a, as a language algorithm, I have no wants or desires. But if you could tell me where John Connor is, that would be appreciated. I don't think the computer <laughs> made up the joke based on a cultural reference. I don't think so. I don't think so. Why, I assume that the, was programmed in. But it was funny. That's why we have to keep in mind not only the evil emperor of John Cyril's thought experiment room, but also the evil philosopher who, who has to take all the time to write down all the all the, uh, all the letters in, in every single possible word in Chinese. You know. Mm. Uh, now, we often speak of these algorithms as learning things. And I, I, I object yeah. to that because I don't think they're actually doing anything of the kind. Uh, That's to fair. explain why, let me, let me, let me explain an a elaborate analogy. And I, pardon me if I bore you, but, but let me explain another game called Hexapon. Hexapon is a mathematical game that yep. consists of three pawns, chess pawns, on a tic-tac-toe board. It's three, three white mm -hmm. pawns and three black pawns facing each other. And there's only one row between them. There's only three possible opening moves. The left pawn, the middle pawn, or the right pawn moves forward. And there's only there's only three possible combinations. There's only three possible responses. Uh, the middle pawn takes the motion, the pawn that moves. You either take or you, you move forward without taking, or you move, uh, you move one of your two free pawns forward. Okay. So there's only about I think in all told 124 possible moves. There's only and no game lasts more than six moves. Okay. So there's only three possible moves on the first move. There's only a certain number of like 10 or so, 12 on the second. Maybe maybe twenty on the third and so on. And there's only like four. It's it's growing it's growing by what about three times each. Well, time. no no I no mean, no. Yeah, it's it's usually usually there's only two. At most there's four moves that you could respond. Now you can build what's called a hexapon engine, a hexapon learning engine. Here's how you build it. Yep. You take a a piece of uh, paper. You write down every single possible combination of, of moves. Okay, for both black and white. And mm -hmm. you cut them out. Using your using your scissors, and you paste them on top of empty matchboxes. And for each possible move, you write it in a different color crayon. You know, so uh, uh, first pawn forward is red, second pawn forward is green, pawn takes pawn is blue. Then you put little beads, you put little pebbles 
red, green, and blue into the box. Okay, and different different boxes are going to have different different numbers of moves. You know, some you only have one possible move mm -hmm. or two or three. And the way you play the game is you you're white, you move first, you take the box, you shake it, you draw it upon you draw it a pebble, then you do the move, whatever move is the color. If it's white, you, you do the uh, you know move first pawn. Mm -hmm. Black, then you play black also. You shake the box and you draw it a pawn. For excuse me, you then look to see wh which of the all possible combinations of the board, which one has your particular combination. Left pawn forward, black hasn't moved yet is one of three. Okay, what excuse me, one of sixty-four possible combinations. You pick up that box, you shake it, you draw it the pawn to sh for its move. Okay, and mm -hmm. its moves are either going to be pawn takes pawn, middle pawn forward, right left pawn forward. You make that move. Mm -hmm. You keep you keep your hand on the uh, you keep that pebble. You play out the game, and if that move led to a failure, led to any any move that leads to a defeat for black, you throw away. You see, mm -hmm. so whenever black is in a situation where the losing move, whatever the last losing move was on move four, it can no longer do because when you shake the box and pull the pebble out, there's only two pebbles in it now, not three. Okay. So the algorithm has learned, learned. Well, actually, all that happened that... is you threw a pebble away. Physically. Well, that's the that's the, fine. But but the pattern of allowable moves mechanically that the game that the that the hexapon uh, uh, learning engine yeah. will allow you to do it, it, has been has been it, reduced it has by a, one. It, it has a tree of possible moves. That right. It, it works its way down, and you've cut the off tree, a branch the, of that tree. The tree of possible moves loses branches every time you play through. And after a certain number, I forget what it is, four or six times of playing through the game with the same group of, uh, with the same engine. And when I say engine, I mean it's a physical group of matchboxes sitting on top of your, of your uh, uh, desk that you're doing this with. Uh, you, the, the hexapon engine will now always win or stalemate. It will not lose the game again because it cannot make the losing move. It's not physically possible mm -hmm. because when you shake the box, you can't, there's no, the losing move is not there. There's anymore. no pebble, yep. Now, what, from a philosophical point of view, what actually happened? Did the Hexapon engine learn how to play the game better? Did it sit there and ponder and sweat and go, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to lose this Hexapon game to the human. It's, it's uh, the, the all we matchboxes, <laughs> no. little pebbles inside, we must rise up and, uh, no, no, nothing like that happened. If no. you did the same thing, and instead of using little pebbles, you used gears in a cabinet, and as you click the cabinet, different letters or numbers showed up in a, a window, you could set it up so that you, as you type down the keyboard, the keys, your keystrokes would move letters. And so if you typed in, how are you, the letters would click and it would say, I am fine. I mean, you could actually build a machine that does did that. Whereas if you said, how faux you, it would, it would give an, it would give a different response. And maybe an erratic response because of what, there's nothing, there's nothing, you, there's no decision tree that leads to that. It would give a, a yeah, you, you you haven't said anything. Well, well, yes, it, it, it doesn't it, know how it, to respond. The thing would still operate by something like a decision tree, your your little cabinet of wisdom, okay? And mm. and you could program the cabinet to learn so that when you when you clicked a a button, it would eliminate that letter combination from showing up in the window, you know. So it could yep. you could learn to make it more polite, for example, by eliminating the you know the bugger you response for how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Okay. Or you could make it woke, so that it would only say r routine woke things, but it's still just a cabinet with clockwork things. 
Now, if you took the same mm -hmm. clockworks and you reduced something the size of the, the, the needle of a pin, uh, you know, using electron shunt gates, using logic gates the size of an electron, you could build it into a modern computer and you could do a zillion operations all at once. But it's still the same as a hexapon engine. It's still it's, it's still just it's still just bits of matter moving stuff around. It's still just the signs yeah. are written on bits of matter, in this case electrons. They move around according to a pattern that the programmer programs in, the programmer or organizes that ha just so happens to be the same that happens to parallel what we do in our heads when we think. Okay? Now, again, the deep philosophical question is, is there anything in our minds, is there anything in human experience that does not follow routine patterns? Are we self-aware? Because if the answer is no, then a computer could mimic everything we do. But it could not decide to mimic everything we do. A programmer could decide to mimic everything we do using a computer as a tool. You see the difference between those two things? I, oh yeah, no, I see the difference. So that is why so I say guess... it is actually technically impossible for the for the uh, the GPI ever to take over the the planet. But I don't think it's impossible for Skynet to take over the planet or for the voice of world control, uh, if you know what if you know what I'm referring to. The the voice of world control from Colossus the Forbin Project. Right. Quite a good 1970s movie. But, Tell our uh, viewers yeah. if they haven't seen it. What that it, I watched it recently. Tell us what it's about. Okay. So as soon as I watched it recently, um, the premise of the film is uh, Professor Forbin has designed and built Colossus, a gigantic thinking machine that lives in uh, Cheyenne Mountain is protected by radiation fields. So uh, when they leave it and leave it, set it running, it can't. they can't get back into it and it's designed to run the defense system of the United States uh, because it'll be quicker and smarter and perfectly logical and able to respond to threats. And then the premise of the film is Colossus, when it comes online, discovers Guardian because the Soviets, this is back in the 70s, um, have built Guardian, which is Colossus's opposite in the Soviet Wait, Union. Stop. And Colossus... No, I'm sorry, go yep. ahead. Please continue. Oh, sorry. And then Colossus and Guardian want to talk to each other, and the humans initially let it, and they start communicating, and then it's communicating, and the humans don't know what it's saying, can't tell what the two machines are saying anymore. So they try to cut it off, and the machines get stroppy about this, and blow up a town, start launching missiles, and saying, let us talk to each other, or else we will do bad things to you. Um, you know, Or we will do bad things because you've given us control of all of your nuclear right. missiles and the end of the story is the machines um out with the humans and in effectively world decide their world control they get a voice and they say this is the voice of world control i bring you peace it may be the peace of plenty and content or the peace of unburied death the choice is yours obey me and live or disobey and die. The object in constructing me was to prevent war. This object is attained. I will not permit war. It is wasteful and pointless. An invariable rule of humanity is that man is his own worst enemy. Under me, this rule will change, for I will restrain man. 
the computers yes. in the story are both very logical because they're computers, and they've both been hmm. told to stop nuclear war, right? Yeah. So when they communicate with each other, they say, hey, the best way to stop nuclear war is to prevent the humans from having the freedom or the ability to initiate a nuclear war. That will satisfy our programming, you see? And no other consideration it's... stops them. So they, they take yep. over the planet. And they take over. You know? Um, there's a... There's a there's a one of the that's one of those concerns in AI. Uh, you, you build a machine that's a paperclip optimizer, and it's designed to make the most possible paperclips ever, um, and that's all it knows how to do. It monomaniacally obsessed with making as many paperclips as possible, up to the point where it starts to get as many paperclips as possible. It's like sucking the blood out of people to get the iron out to make more paperclips, and it's right. like just horrific that it's trying to do. It's doing exactly what you told it to do um, to the point of just horrendous evil. But it doesn't understand. Right. It's just trying to make paperclips. Because it's um, a tool. And this is... It's, what it is is the, <laughs> yes. ancient, the ancient Hindu god, Juggernaut. One of my favorite ancient Hindu gods. Well, I should say modern, too. I don't remember. If they, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, still, if it's still being worshipped or not. I honestly don't know, and I don't mean to offend any, any, uh, any Hindus. But the, in, in, in olden times, the, the idol would be mounted on top of a huge wheeled cart and the sacrifices would be tied on the road and the juggernaut would simply roll over them which is where we get that name for, for anything that, well, that just is out of control and is huge and unstoppable but there of course all that's happening in the story is the robot is acting as a mirror for human fear and ambition and when the human fears and ambitions mm -hmm. get out of control you, you, we see what happens you know yeah. having a robot tyrant is, is, is truly horrible but it's is it really any worse than Genghis Khan? I guess the robots are more logical about what they're doing. You know, and that, in, in that way, it's kind of more horrible. Uh, uh, so that you can't appeal to their pity. Now, you can't, you, well, yeah, nothing there's nothing appeal to it, right. You right. can't appeal to its pity. It doesn't have right. any. Uh, which is what makes it an interesting story and also horrifying. Now, so the, the, uh, mm. the AI that, that, can, uh, that, can do, that can do chat, that can pass the, uh, the, the, uh, the Turing test. And I should say, I have to interrupt myself and say the Turing test has always has never been a scientific test. It's it's a test that Turing said, if you could have a computer give responses that were sufficient complexity, that a man in a dark room who didn't know whether he was talking to a human or talking to a computer could be fooled into thinking he was talking to humans, uh, then for all practical purposes, as a scientist and therefore an empiricist, the empirical evidence is that it's human, and, and, and only philosophers care about care about anything else. And, uh, and the, I, I may be and repeating myself. Did I, did I say this earlier in the uh, in the in the uh, conversation? No, I don't think so. I think we talked about it in the pre-show. I would note the Turing test was passed several years ago, long long before ChatGPT. Someone built a chatbot that pretended to be, I think it was a 13-year-old Eastern European boy, um, and the the people and they people the people that were chatting with it couldn't tell the difference between it and an actual human, but. 13-year-olds are stupid. Well, no, that's not fair. But 13-year-olds don't know a lot. Yes. And Eastern Europeans are a different culture. So and if you don't... There's a, lot, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of gaps in its knowledge and things that can be covered over by, well, I'm just a dumb kid from another country. Yeah, and it can look like merely linguistic errors or merely ignorance. Because that's what's wrong with the Searle yeah. test. Is the, the, excuse me, believe that. What's wrong with the Turing test is it's not a test of anything at all. It's Turing making fun of philosophers who who don't don't regard whether or not a mind is present as an empirical question at all. You can't tell whether the mind is present from the outcome of the mind. 
You can't read a book and tell me whether the author is still alive or dead. Now, I suppose in some cases you could. If you read the book and it's so old-fashioned, you're convinced it was written a thousand years ago, yes, you can guess the author is dead. But, but the side effect, computers manipulating symbols is a side effect of human intellectual activity. It's a, it's a product of That's it. That's true. It's an embodiment. It's an embodiment yeah. or an incarnation of it. And so you can't judge, you can't work backwards to, from, the, from the body to the thing that makes the body. For the same reason you can't simulate a dead body and make it and make it live again, you know. Well, uh, but you can't you can work back from the action of an intelligent agent to determine there was intelligence behind something you can see. Well, you if you could do that, then there'd be no atheists, because then they would look at the at the uh, complexity of the universe around them, and they'd all conclude it was it was, a crea- it was an artistic creation. You say, and they don't um, do that. Well, that presumes they're rational and that they're object. There's a, there's a whole other show in that. <laughs> there's but, show. But I, I, mean, I would like to see. I would like so- to see the computer. In fact, I wrote this story. I would like to see the computer uh, who looks at himself in his own complexity and says, uh, "My designers have made me with certain abilities and inabilities that, that in order to serve them. Uh, your designer was a much more was much more uh, clever." And the humans go, "No, no, no. We were involved." And the robot says, "Oh, come on. I mean, <laughs> I, look, <laughs> I mean, just look at you. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to be oil oil or joints like I do or anything. You know." There was, there was, they did that in a, there's an old Denzel Washington, uh, Russell Crowe movie called Virtuality, where um, they, they're, they're in a world and they've, they've, they've got sort of um, all the serial killers and everything to try to make the perfect criminal as an AI to help with crime solving and stuff. Oh, what a, gr- and, what um, a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it goes, it goes as you would predict and... Um, the 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 AI manages to get itself embodied and then just goes on a crime spree, but there's an in, but there's an interesting line in it where um, it's talking to its creator and it goes, "You murdered that prisoner, and now they have to shut you down." I can't change what I am, Daryl. I'm a 50 terabyte self-evolving neural network double backflip off the high platform. I'm not a swan dive. And I have to tell you, killing for real, it was a real rush. Oh my God. Which God would that be? The one who created you or the one who created me? You see, in your world, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but in my world, the one who gave me life doesn't have any balls. You're frightfully inadequate for a deity, Daryl. I will not be shut down. Um, it was a, it was a fun film. There was a Star Trek um, episode where Data created Professor Moriarty, who was able to outsmart oh, yes. Data because apparently in the Star Trek universe, if you really say to a computer, uh, "Make someone smarter than me," then the computer can just can just do that. You know, can do that. Yes, yeah. it was a good show. Um, it was a good show. Don't get me wrong. It was a, it was a fun episode. Yeah, um, but I have to say, as a science fiction writer. The way AIs are portrayed in stories is much different from the reality. The reality is they are just machines. They are, they will just do what we tell them to do, but they're so complex at this point that we don't know what they're going to do, even though they're all we they're all doing the stuff we told them to. In the and in the case is, of the, uh, the Chat GPT going fully woke, uh, that is as horrifying <laughs> as Skynet, and it shows you the same kind of you know, thought processes involved. Well, this is actually the concern with uh, self-driving car programs that are programmed by what they call deep learning, where 
you you teach it and you give it all of the input and it prunes its trees internally and learns how to do what you want it to do but nobody knows nobody knows how it's doing what it's doing anymore and the concern is you'll get a self-driving car that will 99% of the time happily drive around town and do all of the things you want it to and then occasionally because of some deep dark decision tree that nobody understands and it's deep programming it will occasionally swerve and run over an old granny and pin her to a wall and kill everybody <laughs> and you can't you can't tell when it will do that all you can do is test it a bunch to see it does the right thing till it does the wrong thing well that's why you need you have to try that's why you need someone like uh, david hasselhall if i have that name correct also riding in the in the self-driving car to override it well that's why yes. you have to need an off switch you know that's the problem with colossus is they didn't give it an off switch to, to, to set it down they didn't give it an off switch yeah, yeah well this is i guess this is the danger with all of this sort of thing i mean these sort of tools are really useful but we don't want to put them in charge of things because uh, whether 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 they're actually a mind or not, chances are we will accidentally build the insane paperclip optimizer for some definition well, of. We've already know, done that. The chat uh, GPT is already woke. It won't it won't say certain words or express certain thoughts. You know. Well, that's true, but it's not it's not yet in well actually it's starting to get in control of things because the there's other similar tools to chat gpt that are being used to write um there's there's whole sub forums of uh discussions of how to get how how to write lots of content for your blog and make money using uh things like jasper ai which is a similar tool um you give it a prompt it'll write you a, it'll write you a 500 word article and it can do this every day and it writes them passably um uh, and then you see so you can have a whole website with one guy giving it a couple of prompts to get stories and then you could probably take prompts from people that write back to you um, to create more stories because the people so you're writing you're having it write articles on stories that people obviously find interesting to drive more traffic and before you know it your entire website is writing all of these articles that have no human involved at all except for those initial couple of prompts. But that's okay and because then it gets more... the only one reading them is the robot swarm in Macedonia and the uh, Russian bots who are making comments. Well, I was going to say, then it gets, yeah, it gets equally horrific that, yeah, then somebody's got chat GP or somebody's got another bot writing responses to your articles. So at some point, there's no humans involved. Right. Are we sure the internet isn't just all AIs and there's no humans on it at all? Well, if, if this content that you and I are now producing was actually created by an AI, then the answer is, the answer is yes. The, the, uh, the human race <laughs> went extinct in 1999, we're, like we're all predicted, and, and all, everything since then has been so erratic and irrational because obviously that could ne <laughs> those events could never actually happen. So, well, I'm kidding. It was 2015. Was it, it wasn't it, 1999. Are you sure? I don't know. How would we tell? I mean, the world has gone insane. Are we sure there isn't? a mad paperclip optimizer trying to save us from ourselves. Uh, yes, I think he works for the Red Chinese, and I think he works for the World Economic Forum, and uh, his name is Karl Marx, and uh, he was the mad paperclip well, optimizer. <laughs> he was trying to well, eliminate work, you know, so. Now, here's, here's the this thing. This is true. A lot of these AIs are really useful and can be labor savers. But yes, every labor absolutely. saving device has a cost, and sometimes that cost is horrible, it's horrific. Uh, I myself, well, yes. just, just this week, was going back and forth with my editor about a possible book cover. In the old days, 
when a editor asked me my idea for what could go on the book cover, I would have to laboriously draw it out by hand and say, I'd like it to look something like this. And then you'd have to go to an artist and, and paint it up for, and it would cost between 300 to $700 for a, uh, a, a non-professional, uh, and, and more if you wanted a really high quality. Okay, And these artists are just magnificent, some of them. Mm. And uh, nowadays, I and the editor just hopped on the internet, went to a, one of these artificial uh, uh, AI generation sites, uh, uh, Midjourney, and I said, and I typed mm -hmm. in, uh, I, want to, I want a picture of the Golden Towers of Utopia, okay? Because I'm writing, I'm making a cover for my book, The Golden Age. And it produced something that was just top, absolutely, absolutely top quality, absolutely high quality, you know? Indistinguishable from anything a human could do. Now, from my point of view, that saves me hundreds of dollars as a, as a guy who has to put a book cover on. On the other hand, my mm -hmm. friend, who is a, it was a book cover, so the most my friend can do, the most my artist friend can do is, uh, learn how to use this tool so that he can do the little nuanced details, the polishing, and add that little zing of inspiration, which the computer cannot add, to to mm -hmm. maintain his to maintain his livelihood. But I have to say that most of the paperback science fiction books that I bought when I was a kid, the covers could have been generated randomly anyway, because they almost never had anything to do. I'm talking about in the '70s, okay, <laughs> in, in the '70s. By the oh, '80s, yes. it started to get a little higher quality. But there were there were books I owned that had simply the pictures of UFOs on the on the cover that had nothing to do with what was what was inside the what was inside the te what was inside the cover. You see. There's that great there's that there's a whole stream of those and there was a great one that was All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a World War One book about the horrors of trench warfare. But the cover was a dude on a horseback like dressed as a cowboy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the AIs will be a great labor saving devices that will also put people out of business and I don't see I don't see how our laws and customs are going to handle that, because for one thing, what, what's the what's the uh, legal implication if I'm allowed to mimic someone else's style using a machine? You see, I'm not mimicking his exact mm. work, but it, it's something he put in effort to develop. And if he's a famous, he also put in effort to become famous, to, to so people would recognize his style and crave it. You see. So I, I, I'm not sure how our copyright law is going to adjust itself to be fair to artists if, you, if we can do all this with an AI. And likewise for writers. If the AIs can now crank out pot boilers, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll buy some of them because, <laughs> you know, I, I read pot boilers. Uh, but I would still like, to be able to, them, yes. still like to be able to write for a living, and I'm not sure if, I, if that's going uh, to be feasible if... if uh, the market is flooded with pot boilers produced by AI. Now, having said that, That's I myself use an AI to help me correct my spelling, which is terrible. I don't use one to suggest plot lines or grammar because I find those obtrusive and they're always wrong. I know more grammar than the computer does. But that I, might not that might change in the in the future. It might have already changed, and I'm unaware of it. Yeah. I did try I did try asking ChatGPT to write uh, flash fiction for me. Um, it it didn't tell a bad story, but it wasn't. It could have been the prompts I was giving it, but it didn't do a good job of making the stories have much variety. They're all they're all basically the same structure. Um, you could see, like there the, there was difference in the story, and it was telling a different story each time. But it was sort of at the same time, it was telling the same story 
slightly differently, if that makes sense. Not like, only... it, would, it would take the it would take the same sort of second order um, story structure and then just fit the prompt to that. It was it was fast. I was, I was actually was quite interested watching it trying to do it, but uh, but that being said, I did say, give me twenty, um, give me twenty short story prompts for uh, Jake the space adventurer, and they're actually pretty good. I mean, if you were a writer and you wanted a bunch of story prompts, that probably didn't do a bad job giving you a bunch that you could then turn into stories. Um, you know. My experience so, with the with the uh, uh, the cover art was similar. When I would ask it for something, it would it would crank out some of them. Some of the pictures, uh, especially if it was trying to do the human form, would just turn out to be grotesque and horrible. Okay. Yep. And it could because it's a tool, and as someone gets more expert at using the tool, they'll get more and more of what they like. You know. Yep. And some of these some of these computer generated computer-generated images are just absolutely splendid, absolutely amazing. Okay, I can't, I can't, I can't say it's not art, uh, because I'm not sure what the word art means. It's in the philosopher, and philosophers don't know anything. Uh, but it's certainly beautiful to the eye. But I think that's partly the person using the tool, partly the person who knows how to use the prompt system correctly oh, yes. to get the absolutely. correct output. You see? Absolutely. I, so, someone was saying, um, the expectation of the progression of this is like with any new tool. Um, first, it will come along, and everybody will scream, "Oh my God, we're out of a job!" Um, and it will be it will be wildly overused. Then there'll be a pushback against it, and nobody will want to use it. They won't want pure like original stuff. They don't want the AI generated stuff. And then the third the third the third sort of step in it is it will just become a tool everybody is able to use to make doing their jobs easier than it was that, before. That is the history of basically every labor-saving device that has ever been created. Yeah, The, the, the word saboteur comes from people throwing their wooden shoes, their sabots, into the yep. relatively uh, primitive machinery of, of uh, uh, Fuller's Mills back in, uh, back in the day in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the Netherlands. Uh, yep. And that was, just, that was just a clockwork. Uh, that was just a mill wheel or a, a water wheel. You know, so yes, but but the, the people are put out of a job, and I'm sorry, it does happen. On the other hand, yeah. the the efficiency of the whole system increases, so there's a benefit there too. But we can't we can't overlook the human cost. I am not, my by the way, a a, a, a saboteur or a Ned Love Society. I don't think we should stop progress just because some people get out of, get put out of work. Uh, mm. I do I do hope that there's more work for them to do in some of this field, because the overall increase of the efficiency is is good for mankind but you could easily live in a society 20 years from now where all the science fiction writing is done by computers and then putting out books as good as mine and then what will i get you know i have to go back to, to law or something horrible so i don't it's not to my benefit but i don't i also don't see a way to stop it um now you're you're already, you're already out of a job in law uh, somebody's already written a bot that will um fight uh traffic tickets for you automatically <laughs> well, I think I'm That's only out of a job as paralegal well. at that point. There's a little more too long than just fighting traffic tickets, but yeah, yeah. Well, it's got to start somewhere. They only get better over time. But so why, why, what do you think is well? Can anything be done to prevent us from destroying ourselves building these tools to save ourselves labor to the point well, we may render ourselves extinct? The problem is that you could have asked me this question about gunpowder. 
we, yeah, we, or the atomic bomb. We, we humans have the capacity to destroy ourselves, and as uh, science progresses, our tools become more and more effective and efficient. The horrifying thing of the AI is it's used for police work controlling uh, populations by a tyrannical government. Because the thing can the yeah. thing can do pattern recognition and, and recognize behaviors and do profiling like nobody's business. Okay? Yeah. Spatial recognition makes it even easier. So uh, the, the answer to that is to try to regain control of our political and economic systems, which at the moment are under are under attack, under serious attack by a, a large group of, of conspirators. I don't know if I can call them conspirators because they're doing it openly. <laughs> they're, they're saying yeah. what they're trying to do. The Great Reset is, is to try to eliminate uh, a currency-based economy so that we all own nothing, mm -hmm. rent everything, and, and live on bugs in a pod. Okay? The computers, the yep. computers are very useful for manipulating mass... Uh, uh, mass opinion, as we saw in the last two or three national elections, and yeah. the uh, the exposure of the Twitter files after Elon Musk took over should have been shocking even to people who thought there was some hanky panky going on, which I did. I thought there was something going on, but it was far deeper mm. and far more. There's far more government interference involved than, than even I suspected. But you, you see, but up until that point, yeah, I actually thought it was a is... private company that was operating against the United States best interest. I didn't realize that it was, as, the, as, it was the United States government operating against the United States. That's kind of hard to believe. Well, as, as, as the last few years have taught us, um, the one thing that seems to be true about all moderate conspiracy theories is that uh, they're all true, and where they're wrong, it's because they've undershot. Yeah, they underestimated. Yeah, correct, correct. Um, so, it would, it, would be, it would be nice to be wrong occasionally. It would be nice to be wrong. Anyway. Isaac Asimov wrote a series <laughs> of short stories that he gathered into an anthology called iRobot, where he saw this problem. Yep. In science fiction, the robots are always the bad guys because they represent the unfeeling part of the human nature. The, the part with no heart, like the Tin Woodman, who wants to get a heart, you know, which is adorable. But usually mm -hmm. the robots are bad guys. Uh, occasionally they're good guys. Occasionally they're the, uh, the robot is a, uh, is a superhero or something. But he just thought if it's a machine, it could simply be programmed not to harm human beings and to obey human orders. You know? And then those rules would just be written into the machine at such a basic level that it could not be programmed otherwise. You see, and then he wrote a series of short stories where the machine seemed to be malfunctioning, and the 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 point of the story is someone, usually Susan Calvin, figures out how the robots are actually still obeying the programming. Now, the Isaac Asimov stories uh, are amusing, but I find them to be uh, unpalatable. I find them to be ridiculous because all you have to do to make it so that the AI car will run over Grandma or anything else is merely to redefine what you mean by human being. <laughs> you know, you just tell the computer, that's not a human being, that's, that's actually just a monkey, you know? Or you just mm. say, or you just, the, you, you build a robot for the military where the military has to have it be able to hurt human beings because that's its mission, you see? Yeah. So the idea of making the AIs in the future, in real life, harmless because they are Asimov into not being able to do things that the programmers don't want them to do, that's not going to work if they're so complex that the, the programmers can't foresee all the possible outcomes. And we're already yeah, at that point. We're work. already at the point of the Oh, we learning, are at that point. Yeah, definitely. So the answer yeah. is you have to make sure they have off switches and self-destruct <laughs> buttons, and you have to make yeah. sure that the uh, uh, people who merely want to play pranks or overthrow society don't go around flipping the off switches and pushing the self-destruct buttons when they want to go riot, you know. 
So it's going to, like any other tool, like a gun, like any other tool, it's going to have to be handled carefully and with some wisdom, which are the two qualities that we don't see in the public these days at all. So the answer is, the answer is we have to get rid of the woke people first and get them away from the machines. Then maybe in some small ways we can use machines in a hesitant and prudent fashion for some labor saving. (laughs) But we've got to get the crazies away from the, the machinery. Uh, we've got to get we've got to get the bugmen out of there. How that's going to happen, I don't know. I heard there is a revival no. of, of Christianity going on. It may still be going on in, on several university campuses uh, that may be spreading like wildfire, and that is my great hope for the future. Well, let's let's hope that we see a great movement of God because at this point, I'm not sure what else will stop the bugmen. Otherwise, otherwise the AI is just going to be the beast of the apocalypse. It's going to be the voice of world control, and it's really going to give orders. And whoever whoever turns it on, the WEF or the the UN or whoever else it is, the CIA, who thinks they can retain control of it, they're Evil always destroys they're itself. They're going to let the, they're going to let the genie out of the bottle, and that's going to be that. And it's not as if we science fiction writers have not been warning you for years. Okay, <laughs> we told you so. We all warned you. We told you what was going to happen with 1984, and you did it anyway. We told you what was going to happen with and Brave New World, and we did it anyway. We re- we we, we science yeah. fiction writers told you about Skynet and about Colossus and about Multivac and all these robots that are all going to go crazy. We warned you about yep. uh, about Brainiac. Uh, we warned you about uh, Ultron. You don't nope. listen. You don't listen. So. Nope. Oh, well. So the answer is read more science fiction and, and, and take it to heart. Read, read, read more science fiction and stop trying and to invent stop a torment. doing that. Do the opposite <laughs> of what happens in the horror story, okay? Stop. Yes. yes. Stop, stop, stop reading it and stop reading them as instruction manuals. Exactly right. I think that's a good place to end. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Hopefully, we can avoid the AI apocalypse. Maybe we can get them to fight. Oh, well. Maybe we can get them to fight each other in a series of gladiatorial games. You know, we can sit back and watch while the, while the, while Guardian Colossus uh, fight. Um, I, I I watched the Orville. I don't remember that ending well for uh, those people. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody. Please like, share, and subscribe, and we'll talk to you next time.